The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your 5 at 5. Stocks are trying to bounce back after a massive sell-off on Friday. Investors looking to put inflation fears on the back burner. At least for now, we'll see if that holds. In focus today will be earnings from the rest of the big banks. We'll see if Bank of America's Brian Monahan is as sour on the global economy as J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon. Overseas, growing calls this morning for the resignation of newly minted U.K. Prime Minister Liz Truss as her new finance chief prepares to lay out a revamped tax policy roadmap. President Biden also weighing in on the debate. We'll get you those comments. Plus, oil coming off its worst week since August as global recession fears outweigh recent moves by OPEC and its allies to trim supplies. And later, an Elon Musk about face over Ukraine and free Starlink Internet. It is Monday, October 17th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. Let's kick things off with a look at futures on Monday morning. We are sharply higher. Take a look at the Dow Jones Industrial, indicated higher by 253 points, Nasdaq higher by 119, and S&P 500, you can see higher by 35 points. That is the implied open at this hour. This coming after a pretty rough session for Wall Street on Friday that saw the Dow, S&P, and Nasdaq close down more than 1%, 2%, and 3%, respectively. And it follows what we saw on Thursday when we got that hotter-than-expected inflation read. Stocks moved higher. So the big takeaway here is it's been quite volatile over the last couple of days. Let's take a look at the bond market, where futures continue to price in a 75 basis point rate hike for November. Right now, the 10-year yield uh, yields are lower right now at this hour. We're at 3.96 percent for the 10-year yield. Pivot to energy, where oil has been moving. A rather volatile session for oil in the last two hours. WTI crude is flat. Ice Brent crude back above $90 a barrel at $91.80. Uh, and Nat Gas at 6.2. All right, let's take a look at crypto. We are seeing Bitcoin and Ether move right now. Bitcoin is lower. Ether is higher by nearly 1% at 1309 Bitcoin uh, just above 19000 Let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and early trade in Europe. For that, we turn to Jamana Bersechi in our London newsroom. Good morning, Jamana. Good morning, Seema. Well, a bit of a mixed bag with the handover from Asian stocks overnight. The- focus obviously was on the China Party Congress. And for those who are looking for a a, a change in their stance towards a zero COVID policy, well, it was somewhat disappointing because they seem to be sticking to their guns there. So earlier on in the session, we did see some of these Chinese stocks slipping, turn around towards the close. And here we are about four tenths of a percentage point higher for the Shanghai Composite, about a tenth of a percentage point higher for the Hang Seng. You can see the Nikkei is actually pulling back a lot of the gains that we had last week. Tech stocks leaning the declines here, so down 1.1 percentage points for the Japanese index. And then in Australia, 
We're also seeing heavy declines of about 1.4 percentage points led by commodities. Over in Europe, the picture is a lot more positive, and you can see that every single bourse is actually trading in the green today. A lot of focus on the UK. Once again, the FTSE 100 right at the center of all of the action. Today, we are expected to get a revised fiscal statement out of the new chancellor, the UK finance minister, at 11 o'clock local time, where more U-turns are expected on that budget. So in reaction to that, we're seeing a positive day for equities and also very sharp turnaround in fixed income. Gilts have rallied about 30 basis points today as well. Zetra DAX in Germany up about three-tenths of a percentage point. All eyes on the EU leaders meeting coming up the next couple of days. Perhaps some more measures to be announced on the energy policy side of things. And then finally, we've got the IBEX and the FTSE MIB in Italy up about four-tenths of a percentage point. Monte de Paschi is one of the banks we're watching very closely today. They are coming out with a capital rights issue, though the stock has been temporarily halted. Sima, I'll hand it back to you. All right. Great stuff, Germana. Thank you. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top corporate stories. Bertha Coombs is here with that. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Sinema. Well, succession may be, the new season may be a few weeks away, but the Murdochs continue to put out drama. Rupert Murdoch reportedly looking to combine News Corp and Fox back into one publicly traded company again. This would recreate the media giant that split apart nine years ago. The move would consolidate power in the hands of his son, Lachlan, who currently serves as CEO of Fox. So far, none of the Murdochs have spoken publicly about a possible deal. The proposed recombination would reunite the parent of Fox News with that of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post saving the Murdoch's money by not having to run two separate companies. Meantime, Goldman Sachs is reportedly planning a sweeping reorganization that would combine its investment banking and trading operations into one business. According to Bloomberg, the bank would also merge its asset management and wealth management businesses under another umbrella. A third division would house transaction banking, the bank's portfolio of financial technology platforms, specialty lender Greenski, and its ventures with Apple and General Motors. And Elon Musk reversing course over asking the Pentagon to pick up the tab when it comes to free Starlink internet in Ukraine. Musk tweeting Saturday, quote, the hell with it. Even though Starlink is still losing money and other companies are getting billions of taxpayer dollars, we'll just keep funding Ukraine government for free. In a letter from SpaceX to the Pentagon, the company had said that the use of Starlink in Ukraine could cost close to $400 million over the next 12 months. That, according to reporting from CNN. Oh, well, Seaman, you never know what's going to come from Elon Musk. Yeah, speaking of that, Bertha, he just tweeted two hours ago that he will be adding a donate option to Starlink. So uh, we'll see. The story continues. Bertha, thank you. We'll see you soon. <laughs> Let's turn back to markets. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard is leaving the door open for the possibility that the central bank will hike rates by 75 basis points at its next two meetings in November and December. Speaking at an event this weekend on the sidelines of the IMF and World Bank meetings, Bullard says it's too soon yet to make that call. But he says it probably doesn't make much difference if additional tightening happens later this year or in the first quarter of next year. Bullard says he's always been a fan of front-loading rate hikes by quickly moving policy to a level that restrains inflation and then officials can pause and assess the situation. Let's talk about his outlook, what it means for markets with Kevin Karen, Senior Portfolio Manager at Washington Crossing Advisors. Kevin, good morning. First, your, your take here on, on what Bullard had to say. 
think, I think he's right. There's a big difference now versus the beginning of this year. The markets have already moved. We're looking at uh, forwards markets a year from now that are pricing in five and a quarter percent uh, short rates. So this is a very different setup than the beginning of the year where the market was essentially dead asleep. It wasn't pricing in any rate hikes. And then we were surprised by inflation, which took hold in the spring. The Fed uh, got, got on the program in terms of looking to aggressively go after inflation. And the good news in all of this is the market seems to believe that the Fed is serious and that they're going to deliver the fix that they've promised for inflation. The question is going to be, where do we go from here in terms of the economy? And that's uh, that's a whole separate question. Yeah. With that uncertainty uh, top of mind, Kevin, I believe here you're you write uh, in our notes that the final quarter of this uh, year, you are underweight risk assets. Tell us why. Um, clearly, you're, you're concerned about where this economy is headed, but more importantly, where one can make money right now. Sure. So, so Washington Crossing, we, we followed the data very closely. And what we've seen over the majority of the last year really was a deceleration in the overall data flow that we were getting. And so what we do is we make a little forecast ahead of the next three months or so where we think the, gen the data by and large is headed. And we've been seeing weakness all year. So consequently, it's been our tactical decision in our top-down portfolios to be underweight stocks versus bonds. Now, that's not a, that's, that's not a, uh, a huge um, advantage this year because you've had both stocks and bonds down. In fact, the five-year Treasury, I think last I looked, was down 12%. And that eclipses the prior worst year of 1994, where five-year Treasuries were down something like 5%. So it was a very difficult year to make money in both stocks and bonds. I guess in the near term, the, the reality is that cash is has offered the best return and probably still does, at least for the short term future. Uh, the good news is that, the, as I said, the market does seem to see the feds seem to believe that the feds going to get inflation under control. And that opens up the potential for some positive surprise over the next, let's say, 12, 18 months, potentially. But we're not, just not there yet. We're not out of the woods yet. Would you change your view if the next jobs report on November 4th comes in a little bit cooler than expected? We start to see that slowdown in the labor market. That, that would be the question. The, 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 I think what you're getting at is whether or not the economy pancakes over from here into some kind of recession. Um, from an equity investor standpoint, we're down about 25 percent on the S&P 500. Almost all of that has come from higher interest rates and lower multiples on earnings, but the underlying earnings have actually held up pretty well. So the, the real question is going to be whether or not we have a recession, whether or not corporate earnings do eventually crater as the Fed looks to raise interest rates here. Uh, we're seeing some signs of weakness in the, in the current uh, quarter earnings, but most of that weakness is tied to dollar strength than real underlying weakness in demand, let's say. Yeah. So the jury is still out on this question about recession. Obviously, the unemployment numbers are going to be interesting to watch. But um, for the moment, we're still fighting an inflation problem, not so much a recessionary problem. Well said. Kevin, great to see you. Thank you. Kevin Corin. Good to see you. Thank you. And when we come back, oil under pressure in the face of renewed global recession fears as investors await a U.S. response to OPEC supply shock. Plus, with just over three weeks from Election Day, urgency is mounting in the battle for Senate control. Steeple's Brian Gardner, he's here with what's at stake.
and later, much more on the tensions over trust as the UK Prime Minister faces growing calls to step down less than 50 days in office. Very busy hour ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. We're back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. Watching the price of oil this morning, ice brand crude at $91.76, uh, so slightly higher right now. But it follows a rough week for crude that saw it fall more than 7.5% for its worst weekly loss since early August. And the move in crude comes as global recession and demand fears continue to outweigh efforts by OPEC and its allies to slash supply and prop up prices. Joining me now is Energy Aspect's founding partner, Amrita Sen. Uh, Amrita, it's great to have you on. We got those OPEC production announcements just two weeks ago, and since then, the U.S. administration has been weighing different options, figuring out how to respond. Uh, how do you expect uh, D.C. to respond? I think that's been one of the big drivers as to why prices um, are where they are, to be honest, and the, the downward pressure you've seen, because the market is worried right now uh, that the U.S. could come out with a really big SPR release uh, or potentially even limit product exports, which again, in turn, would then weigh on WTI prices. We would say the most likely response from the U.S. administration is going to be in the form of an SPR. They have a few different variations that they could kind of deploy right now. Uh, they already have legislative SPRs on the book since 2017. They've been kind of uh, releasing anywhere between 20 to 40 million barrels each year. Uh, these are kind of the bipartisan acts that have already been uh, signed and agreed. So the U.S. administration could do anywhere between 25 to 35 million barrels of that legislative um, SPR that's due for this fiscal year anyways. They could just do it now. Remember, the fiscal year in the U.S. starts from October. Uh, so we are already in fiscal year 2023. So we we think that's the most likely option, but they are also weighing an emergency release of potentially as much as 100 million barrels. So, you know, you just don't know, given the volume of uncertainty, uh, you know, the general response in the market has just been people have stayed away from going long and there's plenty of sellers anyways. If releasing more oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is the main option, why do you think the Biden administration is taking so much time? Is it potentially midterms right around the corner, the potential uh, political pushback that this administration could receive? Of course. I mean, this is a time of energy security, and the administration has already called on 180 million barrels of uh, SPR this year. It also released about 30 million barrels last year. 
Uh, and remember, technically, the SPR should only be used when there is an actual supply disruption, uh, not for influencing prices. I do think that's out of the window now. I think now the SPR is absolutely being used um, to keep prices lower, even though that's not what it's meant to be used for. Um, but I think that this is part of the problem that we have drawn down an enormous amount of SPR. Um, and this is a time of energy security, U.S., uh, production isn't actually going up very much. I think that's been a big miscalculation on the U.S. administration's part. They had hoped the 180 million barrels would be the bridge uh, and then U.S. production would pick up right now. But it's just so constrained with uh, the issues around steel and lack of labor and even tier one acreages, which we've just published a, a big piece around. And I think that is going to be the real dilemma for the administration that do they just use up all their ammunition very quickly? Uh, the, the European embargo on Russia hasn't even kicked in yet. Yeah, that's a great point, right? That kicks in, what, in another month or so? In the meantime, what is the next big driver for oil besides the U.S. Uh, decision on whether to release more oil from the SBR? Uh, we're seeing cre Brent crude right now trade at $91 a barrel. Look, the market does look extremely tight going forward, but right now we also have some micro factors, right? You've got the French strikes uh, that are ongoing, which is really tightening up the diesel market. But of course, it's weighing on crude. Uh, you have about six to 700,000 barrels per day of lower crude demand because of these strikes. The refineries there are not running. Um, then you've, of course, got China, the uh, COVID resurgence. But because the party congress is ongoing right now, the government's really focused on making sure that there is, you know, just a very, very strong um, enforcement of zero COVID policies. All of these factors will change as we go into the uh, year end. And we do also have uh, the EU embargo on Russia kicking in from 5th of December. And I do think with OPEC plus cuts, let's be very clear. I have heard a lot of um, headlines or rather I would say uh, heard from uh, various analysts about how the OPEC cuts are not going to translate into actual meaningful changes to balances. Remember, in Q4, we always get OPEC increasing exports because summer crude burn comes down. This year, exports will probably remain flat quarter on quarter. So it won't fall, right? And that's mm -hmm. what's driving sentiment. Right. But it will in end up massively tightening up the market, barring, of course, a mega recession, right? So we do think markets will be heading higher into year end, but really we talking December rather than the next few days and weeks. Higher into your end in December. Amrita, great stuff. Thank you. Amrita Sen on all things energy. Still on deck, halfway to go as big bank earnings season rolls on. What you can expect from Bank of America, Goldman Sachs and more. Plus, does Brian Monahan share the same sour take on the global economy as Jamie Dimon does? We'll find out. Worldwide Exchange, back to two. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. A big week shaping up for China as its president, Xi Jinping, kicks off his party's week-long Congress. He is calling for faster military development and showing no signs of healing trade tensions with Washington and the West. Our Eunice Yun joins us now from Beijing. Eunice. 
Thanks, Simo. In fact, President Xi said that making China great again is his central task over these next five years and likely beyond. In a two-hour-long speech opening the Congress on Sunday, President Xi said that China's national rejuvenation will be underpinned by a Chinese-style modernization and that that modernization uh, would prioritize and continue to prioritize national security. So to President Xi, that means self-reliance, tech supremacy, and a military power that is, quote, normalized. Now, uh, she also suggested that growth was going to take a back seat. Uh, the guiding principles for the economy, um, more, uh, by and large, are common prosperity. So uh, this is narrowing the income gap with um, a phrase that he used, which got a lot of attention here, regulation mechanism of wealth accumulation. Uh, also, high-quality development, which a lot of people um, pointed to as green investment and development. Uh, the continuation of zero COVID, he said, uh, which he said that this policy has achieved major positive results and protects lives and the economy. And he said that, of course, uh, despite a lot of criticism um, outside of the government about the um, lockdowns and, co and mass testing affecting uh, China's economic growth. Now, when it comes to research firms and some of the analysis, HSBC has said that uh, they expect policy support for a lot of tech, uh, not only the companies, but also to attract global tech talent. And in fact, we saw that play out in the stock mar markets today, where education stocks, a lot of them uh, were rallying today. Also, investors poured into chip stocks uh, in the Chinese markets. And this is despite the serious concern among a lot of uh, players within the chip industry that uh, President Biden's uh, export controls on uh, the chip industries uh, could con seriously undercut, SEMA, uh, the um, overall development of the homegrown industry. And perhaps why she underscored this idea of self-sufficiency. I'm curious, uh, Eunice, uh, in, in reference to competition, did he explicitly point, uh, point to the United States or just in other, other countries in general? No, he, you know, it was interesting. He did not specifically reference the U.S. or any other nation, but he obviously he just made his message, though, quite clear in a kind of veiled way when he said that um, overseas that there are a lot of uh, dangerous storms ahead. Um, he also um, was talking about how China is going to prevail in the uh, technology, the battle for te core technologies um, overseas. And and so even though there wasn't any um, direct reference to the U.S., obviously an, uh, an indirect one about how China is going to prevail um, against any of, of uh, what it perceived to be uh, China's uh, enemies. Right. you got to read the tea leaves here to, to get the, the full meaning. Thank you, Eunice. Good to see you. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Manna here in New York with the latest. Philip, good morning. Hi, Sima. Good morning. This morning, air raid sirens are ringing out in Kyiv after another round of Russian attacks against the Ukrainian capital. For the second straight week, emergency crews are on the ground there, responding to the damage reportedly caused by kamikaze drones. So far, at least 18 people have been rescued from the rubble. The mayor of Kyiv says the body of one deceased woman has been found and another is still trapped. The number of casualties is unknown. 
The Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation has announced it will commit $1.2 billion to the worldwide effort to end polio. The money will be used to implement the Global Eradication Initiative strategy through 2026. According to a statement from the foundation, the initiative is working to end the virus in Pakistan and Afghanistan, the last two countries where it's endemic. The funds will also be used to stop outbreaks of new variants of the virus. The New York Yankees bats needed to come alive to avoid their season ending in Cleveland. Here's another drive to deep left center field, and this one is gone. Harrison Bader's early blast gave the Yankees a leg up on the Guardians, and New York's pitching did not allow a run after the fourth inning. The Yankees win it 4-2, forcing a Game 5 tonight. The winner will get the Astros down in Houston for the ALCS. Seema, back to you. Philip, great. Thank you. And straight ahead, nothing imaginary here. Why Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse problems are all too real. Plus, what Netflix wanted to do back in 2019 to boost its content library with a little help from Tom Cruise. We'll be right back. Futures pointing to a higher open as stocks look to put Friday's sell-off in the rear-view mirror. Another loss for Cook and Cupertino as a second Applestar votes pro-union. And growing calls for the resignation of UK Prime Minister Liz Truss as her new finance chief prepares to lay out a revamped tax policy roadmap. Will it be enough? It's Monday, October 17th, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange, CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi, and for Brian Sullivan at this hour, it is right around 5.30 a.m. here in New York. Let's pivot to futures and take a look at all the green on the screen. Sharply higher in uh, pre-market trade here. Dow Jones Industrial up 316 points. We started the show higher by 240. So we're gaining momentum here. NASDAQ higher by 142 points and the S&P 500 higher by 43. Let's get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Bertha Coombs is back. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Seema. Meta Platform's flagship metaverse for consumers dubbed Horizon Worlds is reportedly failing to meet internal performance expectations. This is according to the Wall Street Journal, which reviewed internal company documents. Meta initially aimed to reach half a million monthly active users in Horizon Worlds by the end of this year. But that current figure stands at less than 200,000. Additionally, the documents showed that most users don't return to Horizon after their first month on the platform, and the number of users has steadily fallen since the spring. Meantime, employees at an Apple store in Oklahoma City voted late Friday to join a union. This makes it the second unionized Apple store in the U.S. The vote is seen as a defeat for the company, which opposes unionization efforts, and a win for Communications Workers of America, which has faced uphill battles to unionize at stores in Georgia and New York City. And not long before the pandemic, Netflix reportedly explored buying Paramount Pictures, the studio behind The Godfather and Top Gun. That, according to Bloomberg, Netflix wanted the studio's library and its lot in Hollywood, but wasn't interested in buying the cable networks owned by the company. So talks stalled out. Top Gun at Netflix, Seema. That would have been interesting. Yes, it would have. Thank you, Bertha. To a developing story now, newly minted UK finance minister Jeremy Hunt announcing he will unveil 
a revamped fiscal roadmap today, about two weeks earlier than expected. And this comes after a wild day in the U.K. Friday, which included the firing of the form, former finance minister and a huge fiscal U-turn for Liz Truss. Arabila Gumide is outside 10 Downing Street in London. And Arabila, we're all trying to figure out well, what's next. Yeah, so what's next is that we're expecting uh, Jeremy Hunt, the newly minted, as you said, finance minister, to deliver a message then uh, to perhaps undo what may have been some of the mini-budget uh, sentiments put forward by Kwasi Kwarteng, the former finance minister who was, of course, uh, um, asked to then step aside. That happened on Friday with the Prime Minister Liz Truss, then also U-turning on the corporation tax, also all of that happening on Friday. So the expectation now is that uh, Jeremy Hunt and the UK finance minister will now deliver uh, a message that could perhaps U-turn on some of the mini-budget uh, statements that were put forward and what exactly she could then uh, put forward as well then as that mini-budget. The medium-term fiscal plan is said to come out on October 31st, but that's been moved and could certainly have lots of uh, a few parts of that coming forward then uh, today, uh, bringing forward that sentiment and I guess a clearer message to the market on what exactly the plan is then for this government. Arabile, uh, Prime Minister Liz Truss, just 41 days into her term as Prime Minister and is clearly facing uh, growing calls uh, for a resignation. Take a look at some of the front page papers we are showing right now across England. Uh, the Guardian, Truss fighting for survival. Uh, it just goes on and on. Uh, clearly, she is losing confidence here. Yeah, so, you, so we've even gotten word from a few members of parliament even uh, and, and some saying that uh, it would be premature for her to stay. It wouldn't necessarily be helpful to the cause for her to stay in power. Uh, some questions even by the media last week Friday at her press conference asking the question as to why she should remain uh, in office having seen her finance minister then resign uh, or being asked to then step aside. So quite a few question marks certainly being put forward on that. Even question marks then from uh, U.S. President Joe Biden with regards to the sentiment, the statement, putting forward those tax cuts that were uh, the initial statement then from Liz Truss and her finance minister, and even noting then that he did not agree that U.S. President Joe Biden. In fact, these were his exact words uh, coming out this past weekend. I wasn't the only one that thought it was a mistake. I think that uh, the idea Cutting taxes on the super wealthy at a time when, anyway, I just think, I, I disagreed with the policy, but that's up to Big Britain to make that judgment, not me. So clearly his sentiments are also the sentiments of the market. But we are seeing today that the 10-year UK guilt has fallen at least around 30 basis points at some stage to sit just above that 4% figure. Even the, UK, uh, the pound then around 8 tenths of a percent stronger uh, earlier this morning as well. As we said, expecting then a comment to come through then from the UK finance minister Jeremy Hunt, which may indeed reverse just some of those budget, uh, mini-budget statements that were put forward earlier this month. We'll see that at 6 a.m. Eastern. We're waiting for that announcement. Uh, for now, Arabile, thank you. Appreciate it. Arabile in London.
Back here in the U.S., financials will dominate the earnings conversation today. Bank of America is set to post quarterly results before the bell. On Friday, we hear from J.P. On Friday, uh, we did hear from J.P. Morgan, rather, Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo, as well as Citigroup. Among the common themes, a less than stellar outlook for the U.S. economy, specifically from Jamie Dimon. Joining us now is Ken Leon, CFRA Director of Equity Research. And Ken, uh, first, your take on what we heard so far from the major banks. Uh, well, good morning. And, uh, you know, banks are a good barometer of where we are in the economy, um, barring, you know, disappointing results, of course, in investment banking. But really looking out to next year and, and recession, uh, we're just not seeing it in the numbers across all the banks that reported Friday or Bank of America, whether it's consumer lending, health in terms of credit card, credit loss exposure, uh, or even commercial banking where there isn't a distressed industry. Usually those are kind of tea leaves of a recession coming. So it, it's kind of a tale of, of two markets. While the IPO market has dried up, Ken, we have certainly seen a rise in M&A, the latest one being Kroger uh, putting in an offer for Albertsons. Um, that should certainly help the banks, right? Or which banks benefit the most? So, the, you know, the voice really was weak in terms of usually you'll say we have a strong investment banking pipeline for the fourth quarter, which is one of the biggest quarters for underwriting. Uh, equity underwriting, including IPOs, is not expected uh, to really pick up for the rest of this year. Uh, M&A, to your question, uh, will because uh, corporate clients are flush with cash, and if they can't organically grow, they might do acquisitions. But it's a smaller percentage of investment banking. The area that really held up was a little bit better was trading, but not, not the double-digit growth that we saw in both equity and fixed income trading uh, earlier in the year. In regards to fixed income trading, what are you expecting to hear from Bank of America when it reports? I think it's really measured risk. You know, all these banks, including Bank of America, are concerned about their regulatory capital requirements. So they're not taking big risk on the fixed income side, particularly derivatives. You've seen, obviously, the news with Credit Suisse, or even the Bank of England, you know, and its effect on the credit markets. So banks are conservative today versus years ago when it comes to fixed income or derivative trading. Ken, what's your take on this story from the Wall Street Journal this morning that Goldman Sachs is planning a big reshuffle? It's also uh, taking its three divisions, folding its biggest businesses into three divisions and undertaking one of the biggest reshuffles in history. Uh, what do you make of this? <clears throat> I haven't seen the article, but my presumption would be that this type of restructuring usually happens when you underperform or there's an outlook of maturity. So possibly this is cutting away layers of cost, even if it's at the managing director level. Okay. Goldman down about 21% this year, actually faring better than the broader financials ETF. Ken, thank you. Appreciate it. Ken Leon. And don't miss an interview with Bank of America CEO Brian Monahan later today on Power Lunch. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, though, 21 days and counting until the midterm elections. What investors need to know? That's up next. But first, as we had to break, some of your big money movers. Sam's Club is raising its annual membership fee for the first time in nine years. 
Basic fees at the Walmart-owned warehouse store will increase from $45 to $50 starting today. Starboard has taken a nearly 5% stake in Splunk. And the Wall Street Journal reporting the activist investor plans to push the software maker to take steps to boost its stock price. We'll see Splunk is higher by 5%. And Marriott officially entering the luxury yacht market. Arima is the first of three custom-built yachts from the Ritz-Carlton Yacht Collection set to sail over the weekend with a voyage from Barcelona to Nice. Stay tuned. Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. With just over three weeks until Election Day, urgency is mounting in the battle for Senate control. The current 50-50 split means any race could tilt the upper chamber's balance of power for years to come. Contests are tightening in states like Georgia, a key Republican battleground where early voting begins today as conservative hopes rest on controversial candidate Herschel Walker. And with last week's hotter-than-expected inflation report, voters could be thinking with their wallets now more than ever. Joining me now is Stiefel Financial Chief Washington Policy Strategist Brian Gardner, also the co-host of the Potomac Perspective podcast. Brian, good morning. Good morning. So you say the hotter-than-expected read on inflation that we got out last week, it could heavily influence the midterms. Tell us why. Yeah, so it's one of the last big uh, economic data points before the midterm elections. Uh, we're going to have the jobs report uh, the Friday before, but I think the jobs uh, the jobs picture is kind of understood, and I don't think it's it's moving voters in the same way. When you look at how voters prioritize their issues for them, it's the economy, it's inflation. You put them together, really around 35, 40 percent of the voters are, are making up their minds on that. And then you throw in a, a number of social issues like crime, um, really giving some tailwinds to Republicans as we head in um, to the midterms. But again, the inflation report, as voters look for you know the last bit of information and how they're feeling, I think I think the inflation report more than anything else reflects how voters are feeling. It's not going to lead them to change their minds. Um, and how voters are feeling are not, is not great on the economy right now. So, Brian, if the Republicans are going to use inflation as a major talking point, won't Democrats just respond by saying, hey, look at the jobs market, where we've actually seen unemployment fall from 3.7, the rate, to 3.5? Sure. I mean, you know, th- th- that's the natural response. Um, and, you know, if, if the parties were flipped, I, I would expect Republicans to be doing the same. But when I, you know, when I try and gauge what's motivating voters, uh, it's unhappiness about price hikes. Um, wages are not keeping up with with those with price hikes. Um, people are feeling it in their pocketbooks. Um, yes, they're very happy to have a job. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but uh, the when you when you try and balance out which is motivating voters more. Uh, it's the inflation numbers. It's 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 less the jobs numbers. So your base case right now is Republicans get the House, but the Senate is still up for grabs. Or do you think right now it's it's a sweep? House and Senate. You know, I've been no, I've been up for grabs the whole time, but I, I do sense some momentum in the Republican direction. And I, I think, you know, given the, the the timing of that inflation report, it could be one of those years where we've seen in the past 2014, I think, was one of them and, and some others where. Um, the election just kind of tilts in the middle of October. And you mentioned Georgia going to uh, starting early voting today. Um, as people go, I think, you know, going into the ballot box, I think that that last minute voter making up their mind and there are not, not a lot of ton of a, a ton of them, but um, 
they're going to determine the outcome. You're going to see a, a number of races that are decided by one point or less. I think this moves a, a couple of key Senate races in the Republican direction. Should the Senate flip, um, what do you think the Democrats will prioritize if that happens? Well, if the Senate flips, uh, you know, I think then it puts a lot of pressure on Chuck Schumer, uh, the Senate Democratic Senate Majority Leader, uh, to finish up strong in December during a lame duck session. Um, they, they will lose. Democrats would lose the ability to confirm judges. So I think that's going to that's going to place a heavy priority on uh, judge judicial confirmations in December and, you know, could delay some economic decisions, punt that into January when the Republicans take over. And there's some key business uh, issues to look out for the business interest, interest deduction, R&D spending, um, how those are calculated under the Trump tax cuts. Th- those are issues that I think Congress was trying to deal with in December. If the if the Senate flips, those could actually get punted to later on. Yeah. And not to mention immigration. Right. That continues to be a major focus as well, which uh, we don't have enough time. We are out of time, Brian. But thank you. I've been taking notes here. Appreciate it as we do the walk up to midterms. All right. Coming up on the show, from surveys to corporate commentary, signs are pointing to tougher times ahead for the economy. So what should an investor do? We'll ask two money managers next. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast miss our worldwide exchange check us out on apple spotify or other podcast apps we will be right back another look at futures because we continue to gain momentum here dow jones industrial implied open 324 points the nasdaq is higher by triple digits as well 141 points the pre-market action Economists are forecasting the U.S. to enter a recession in the next 12 months as the Federal Reserve tries to bring inflation down, growth slows, and companies cut jobs. The latest Wall Street Journal survey finding that economists put the odds of a recession at 63 percent. That's up from 49 percent in July. This is the first time the survey has put the chances of a downturn above 50 percent since July of 2020. Economists also expect GDP to contract in the first two quarters of next year. Let's discuss this further with Mike Reynolds, VP of the investment strategy team at Glenmead, and Sunaina Sinahaldia, global head of private capital advisory at Raymond James. Great to see you both. I know, Sunaina, you and I have been exchanging notes. So clearly the economic projections, unfortunately, are getting worse and worse. How are you advising investors right now to make money? Well, the economic picture is deteriorating only because there is a second leg to the stool here, which is, you know, we've not seen the pass through into EPS decline for earnings to come down for companies, both public and private companies. That shoe is yet to drop. And I think that the guidance that most public companies will issue during this skirting season will tell us a lot more about what parts of the equity story to play and which parts to avoid. Uh, Michael, what do you think with more economists now expecting a recession? Uh, do earnings estimates need to come down even more? Yeah, so our base case is for recession over the next 12 months. And it would be very atypical not to see earnings decline uh, during an economic recession. Typically, you see on average 15 percent decline in earnings over those periods. Uh, we're very concerned about the outlook from here, given we still have premium valuations on large, large cap equities. 
By our estimate, we're at the 60th percentile on an interest rate adjusted basis. Again, that is also atypical of a recessionary environment to remain at premium valuations. So for our clients uh, at this point in time, we are recommending an underweight to equities to compensate for that lack of recognition in the markets that economic trouble is ahead. So underweight equities, Michael, then does that mean what does that mean for bonds? I mean, should investors start taking advantage of the yield you can get in the bond market? Absolutely. I mean, there are parts of the bond market where we're seeing some really interesting opportunities, particularly the short end of the yield curve, where we are picking up a decent amount of yield and less sensitivity to the rise in interest rates. You have less duration exposure on the short end of the curve. Um, So you're relatively insulated uh, to increases in interest rates from here. And we like cash as well. So we're overweight both cash and short-term fixed income at this point in time. So, Nana, for investors who have been bearish on bonds and said, you know, I've just been fully focused on the equity market, but now are looking at the yield you can generate in fixed income, where should they be looking? Well, if you don't like equities or bonds today, you should think about how do you build diversification to other types of asset classes through different sources. So whether it's getting access to a private markets portfolio, either through private equity or through buying the permanent capital vehicles that are often listed in the major private equity funds. That's one way. The other way is to think about stocks that show resilience in these environments. So U.S. businesses that have domestic consumer bases will fare better than global ones. Services businesses will do better than goods businesses. Companies that are relatively resilient to a lower growth environment like insurance services, healthcare services businesses, should still do well. So this is a micro opportunity, not a macro call on equities. That makes sense. Michael, I'm looking at the economic calendar for this week. Not a lot. We have industrial production tomorrow, jobless claims as always on Thursday. It seems like the next big report that markets will be focused on will be the jobs report, which comes out uh, in two weeks, right, Uh, on November 4th. But what's on your radar, though? For us, it's jobs and inflation, and we're watching those very closely, as I'm sure is the Fed. We're still seeing a very tight labor market, mostly because labor force participation is just nowhere near where it was pre-pandemic levels. Nor do we actually expect it to get back to those pre-pandemic levels, because we're bumping up a little bit here on a demographic headwind with uh, the retiring uh, baby boomer generation really keeping labor force participation down and leading to the tight conditions we're seeing there. We're watching these reports pretty closely, along with the CPI reports, for signs that sticky inflation is, you know, maybe showing some signs of uh, coming back down to earth. But for right now, inflation is remaining sticky. And until it shows signs of coming back down to earth, the Fed is going to remain on this tack of tightening until it gets it under control. So, Dana, you're based in London, so I'm remiss if I don't ask you about how, as an investor, uh, you're looking at the, the fast-moving political dynamic uh, across London right now. Yes, I think that the new Chancellor Jeremy Hunt has rolled back almost half of the unfunded tax cuts that were announced a couple of weeks ago by the former Chancellor. We're now looking to how much more he's going to roll back today at his press conference shortly. If he goes all the way back to zero and then figures out how he's going to increase revenue to the state to pay for the rest of the deficit, I think markets are going to react very very comfortably here and say that things are almost back to normal. The issue in the UK right now, Seema, is that there's been a crisis of confidence in our markets. Right. And that's impacted financial stability. And that's something okay. investors are going to look very carefully to. Well, look at the pound. It's up 1% right now. Uh, Sanena and Michael, great. Thank you. Appreciate your time today. And that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.